Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Brian Candelo. I want to begin by asking you a question, if that's all right. Actually, I'm going to ask it anyway, so whether I'm right or not. Here's the question. Are you a good Christian? I want you to think about that for a minute. Are you a good Christian? I don't know what that question does to you. Maybe your first thought is, well, I'm here, aren't I? (laughs) Maybe you think, not at all. Maybe you think, well, yeah, you know, I've done these things, or I, I do these things. How do we know? Now, from the outset, let me say this. That's a terrible question. But it's a question I've often asked myself. I want to know, am I a good Christian? How am I doing? How do I know if I'm getting better at being a Christian? So I spent the past several weeks um, searching for some type of helpful tool, something that would show me if I'm a better Christian. So I, I went to the internet, like you do, and I looked for a Christianity scorecard. And surprisingly enough, one doesn't exist. And I thought, really? Now, I did find, actually, I found the perfect wife scorecard. (laughs) But I'm neither that brave nor that foolish to talk about that this morning. (laughs) And since I couldn't find a Christianity scorecard, I've created one. Just trying to be helpful. So, I want you to keep score, all right? Uh, I want you to give yourself points for these things, and and you can keep track whether you're counting on your your hands or, or... putting a check mark on something. So here's the first one. Give yourself a point for going to church. I wanted you to all start with a point. You're all here. I thought, what a great way to start. Get everyone feeling good about themselves. Uh, You get a bonus point if you arrived on time, but you have to take away a point for every five minutes you were late. Oh, also give yourself a bonus point if you go to church when you're on vacation, because that's a good Christian, right? And, and where do you sit when you come in? I'm going to give a bonus point if you're sitting in the first five rows. Yes. Well played. If you're in the balcony, I am so glad you're here. But you don't get a bonus point. What about worship? Give yourself a point if you stand up without the worship leader saying, please stand. If you raise one hand, One bonus point. Two hands. Two bonus points. If you ever get to pistols, that's three. That's three bonus points right there. If you have a Bible, you get a point. If uh, you read it, you get a point. If you brought it with you, you get a point this morning. If you have a study Bible with the wide margins and you have a bunch of stuff underlined and highlighted and starred, that's a good Christian. Give yourself a point. Do you volunteer? If you do, give yourself a point. If it's middle school or preschool, give yourself a bonus point. (laughs) If you give regularly, that's a point. Well done. If you have direct deposit, bonus point. (laughs) If you sponsor a child, bonus point. If you'd like to sponsor one of my children, (laughs) bonus points. When you pray, do you quote the King James? Give yourself a point for that. If someone else is praying and you're there in the room and you go, 
mm, mm, mm. When they get to the good parts of their prayer, give yourself a point. If you've been on a missions trip, that's a point. If you've been baptized, that's a point. If you've been baptized in the Jordan River, that's a bonus point, because if it's good enough for Jesus. If you have a quiet time, that's a point. And by that, I mean a, where you're like reading and praying, not napping. Uh, now, if you've ever posted a picture of your quiet time on Instagram or Facebook with a hashtag that says much needed or blessed or coffee with Colossians, minus one. <laughs> give yourself a point if you're in a Bible study. Uh, give yourself a bonus point if you actually do the study. Um, here's one. If you hurt yourself, you know, say you stub your toe really bad or you hit your thumb with a hammer, what comes out of your mouth at that moment? Hmm. If it's a Christian curse word, like crumb or mylanta, give yourself a point. If you wear a cross necklace, have a cross tattoo, or some type of Hebrew or Greek tattoo, give yourself a point. Last night after the 6.30 service, a guy came up, he showed me his cross necklace, his cross tattoo, and his Hebrew. I was like, three points. It's fantastic. If you've seen a Christian movie in a movie theater, there's a point for you. If you vote, give yourself a point. If you vote for, nah, never mind. <laughs> we, too much to talk about. We, we won't even go there. If in your car you have at least two Christian radio stations on preset, give yourself a point. Now, how'd you do? Well, you know, we're not gonna ask for a show of hands. We should, actually. After every service, I have been asked if we could do that. Are you a good Christian? Now, here's the thing. If this is your first Sunday here, I'm sorry. There is no Christianity scorecard. And yet, oftentimes, we live like there is one. We do, don't we? We like a checklist, we like a scorecard. We want to know if we're doing well. We want to compare ourselves to other people. So we judge ourselves and we judge other people by the things on our scorecard. And the funny thing is, is they've changed over the years. They've morphed. Things have come in and out. But we, we still grade ourselves somehow. Because how else are we going to know if we're growing? How else are we going to know if we're better than the Christians around us? How else are we going to know if God loves us more or accepts us more or that we are enough or that somehow we are complete? How are we going to know if we don't keep score? Now, this isn't a list of bad things, right? There's some really good things on there. There's some silly, but there's some really good things on there. But it's not a list that defines us. The good and the silly things on this list, they don't define us. Those things do not make us complete. And there's really, there's a huge problem with lists like this. Two huge problems, actually. The first is this. After a while, we become a slave to these things. We become a slave to our rules and to our rituals. And the second huge problem is this. The rules and the rituals that we have on our scorecard take the place of the relationship with Jesus that we're supposed to have. 
Instead of having a relationship, we've got rules and rituals, and we settle for that. We're continuing on in our series in Colossians, and a couple weeks ago, Steve put this equation up on the screen. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Only Jesus. Jesus alone, and yet so often we want to say, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, right. Jesus, yeah, we know what he did. It was super, fantastic. But I'm going to add a little something to it. I've got some things that I do. I've got some things that I bring to the table. And that's going to make me more complete. But that's not the case. It says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete. You are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. And we really need to just look at that and soak that in. You are complete because of what Jesus has done, not because of what we continue to do. Jesus makes us complete. And we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at some of the things that, that we try and substitute, some of the things that we try and add to Jesus. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. If you want to grab one from the pew there, it's on page 1872. And this passage is all about freedom. It's about being free from the Christianity scorecard. And you also need to know that Paul is speaking to the church. He's, he's talking to us. He's saying, be careful. Be careful. Don't let anybody trap you with these things. Don't begin substituting these things. Don't get caught up in scorecard Christianity. So we're going to have three different things that we get tripped up on. We're going to start in verse 16. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. We'll say this about this first one. We can get caught in rituals. We can have in our lives this devotion to ceremony, this idea that our identity is tied to our habits, to our systems, to our scorecard, and not to Jesus. And so Paul starts by saying, don't let anyone condemn you. Don't let anyone exclude you or judge you for the, the things that you eat or drink. We know that there were Jewish dietary laws, things that were kosher. You know, don't eat your, your meat and your dairy together and, and don't eat fruit that has bugs in it. That's one of them. And I think, well, that should be universal. That's a great one. <laughs> Keep that in mind. And, and, you know, you can eat a goat, but you can't eat a camel and you can eat a tuna, but you can't eat a lobster. There's just a lot of dietary laws and, and it's, it's good. It's good reading. And then there's the, the, it says certain holy days and new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. It's talking about yearly events and monthly things and weekend things, you know, our, our Sundays, our, our Sabbath days. Don't let people condemn you. But here's the thing. How are people around us going to know that we're different? What do we do that differentiates ourselves from the people around us? Well, we, we behave in a certain manner. We celebrate certain things. We, we eat or don't eat certain things so that other people can know. And Paul says, these are just a shadow. All of these things are just preparations for what's to come. And you can't get stuck in the ritual. You can't get stuck in the preparation and miss the coming. You can't get stuck in the ritual and miss the feast. Think about Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. 
it's what a great holiday. You get to watch football all day and eat your body weight and carbs and pie, right? It's fantastic. And we know that it's, it's, it's a ritual. It happens every fourth Thursday in November. And, and we kind of, they all kind of look the same, don't they? You prepare the same food and you all sit around the table and everybody has to say something that they're thankful for and all the food's hot, so everybody's trying to be really quick about it. And you get through that. It's just the same thing over and over. Now, can you imagine if you did all of the preparation and all of the ritual but never actually ate the meal? Now, moms, you might feel like that every year. But wouldn't that be strange? Can you imagine doing all the preparation, all of the ritual, but missing out? He's saying, be careful. We can't do that. And, and the rituals aren't bad. Rituals aren't bad. They're good reminders. They point us in a direction. God put these things in place. He put the holy days in place. He put these things so that we could be reminded and so that we could look forward. I read recently that during the Middle Ages, they built the yearly calendar around the church calendar, and they just saturated the calendar with certain church events. And it was so that the people who, in many places, were largely illiterate, could learn about Jesus. They had rituals all year that they did to teach people the Bible story every year all the way through. So it's not that the rituals are bad, but rituals have a shadow side, don't they? Because you know that the more that you do a ritual, the more it becomes just going through the motions. And the more that you do a ritual, the more that you can turn your brain off and you can go on autopilot. And think about maybe your morning rituals, right? There's certain things that you do in the morning that you could do in your sleep. Maybe you do them in your sleep. Maybe you wake up, it's like 10 o'clock, you're like, how'd I get to work? Maybe that's the case. But you can do these things in just ritually, right? Think of some of the things we do from our scorecard. Like we, we say grace before a meal, right? That is oftentimes just a ritual. God, thanks for this day, for this food, amen. So every once in a while, I catch myself saying that prayer at another time when I'm not thinking about, you know, it's nighttime with my girls and I'm praying for my daughter and I'm not even thinking, I'm just like, oh God, thanks for today and this food. And she's like, dad, that's the meal prayer. And so I got to, you know, flip that little Rolodex, that little mental Rolodex. Okay, here we are. Yep, there's a nighttime prayer. This is the one. Maybe your ritual is going to church two weekends a month. Maybe we get caught up in what communion is. Think about that. How often can you take communion and not really think about it? You can think about the music and you know what to do with the cup and with the bread, but you forget all about the one who's invited you to the table. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, stop, stop, wait, pause, examine yourself. Think about what it is that you are doing. Because rituals end up replacing relationship. And we think, yeah, sure, I'm, I'm a good Christian because look at all of these rituals that I have in my life. But that doesn't mean that you have a relationship. And Paul's saying, you know, we can be free from the, the shadows of, of ceremonialism. We can be free from thinking that rituals plus Jesus equals I'm a good Christian. It's not that. Second thing we can get tripped up on. Look at verse 18. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud. 
He, says, he starts with pious self-denial. You see, and, and we've heard about the Pharisees probably where they've just kind of come in and they've thrown this whole set of rules over everybody. And they, they took even in Numbers chapter six, it talks about taking a special vow for a certain season and abstaining from certain things. And it's all listed out there. It was called a Nazarite vow. And the Pharisees were like, nope, we should be doing this all the time. You, we should abstain from all of these things. And, and just, you know, denying yourself in a way so that you look good. And then the other thing it talks about is the, the worship of angels, which is interesting, right? Now, theologians have a couple different interpretations of what that means. First, it could mean just actually worshiping angels. Second, it could mean this idea that, you know, nobody worships God like the angels. They do it best. So we want to study how the angels worship God. Or third, it could mean just spending a lot of time on how angels worship. That topic has become some type of idol in their lives. We don't exactly know. But if you do read history of the era, there was a Jewish doctrine of angels. Angels began to have this special place in society. They had this idea that if you were like a special saint, if you were one of the special people, if you were Abraham, if you were Moses, if you were Barbara Fletcher, you had <laughs> direct access to God. But for the rest of us, us common people, we needed an intermediary. And those intermediaries were angels. And angels would come and teach secrets of the universe. And they even had this, where, you know, they would teach medicine and science as well as things about God. But what happened was it became this small circle of the initiated, of the special people. And the point of this is that these people became so absorbed in something that they began to kind of have this superior attitude. The word proud here in the text literally means to inflate, it, to, to puff up, to blow something up. You know, just that spiritual pride, getting a big head. Pride that comes from seeing what common people can't see. This idea that we've been around the church for a while and we're kind of on the inside. We know things. We've got a special knowledge. We've had special experiences. We've done things that not a lot of other people have done. We've got insider language that other people don't know. My wife worked in inner city Philly for a while and um, we would go and, and take these kids from a housing project and, and we'd bring them to the church that I worked at. And one time in particular, we brought these two boys and as we got to, to church, one of the things that we sang about was being washed in the blood of the lamb. And they were like, That's weird. Like, we bathe in lamb blood. This is a cult, right? They just didn't, they didn't get it. There's, when you think about some of the things, you know, within the church, some of our language and some of the things we do, it's, it's different, right? But sometimes that can cause us to feel proud about those things. Sometimes we can even have different experiences than other people at church even, or, or understand things on a deeper level, we assume, and we get this religious pride, this idea that Jesus plus knowledge, that makes me a better Christian. That's a way that I can keep score. Look at all that I know, which is why Paul warned against it. He said in 2 Corinthians 10, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. We need to be free from false spirituality. We need to be free 
from religious pride. We can't let these things swell our head. We can't think, oh, I know what the common people don't know. The third way that we can get trapped, verse 20. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Here we are again with this, these rules. We can get tripped up in the rules and we can have this pious self-denial, but quite honestly, oftentimes what looks like self-discipline is really self-indulgence. What looks like self-discipline can be self-indulgence, this idea that really we're just doing it for ourselves. We've taken godly rules and we've replaced them with man-made rules, or we've taken God and replaced them with godly rules. And we can do that. We can focus on the rules, and the rules can become more important than the relationship. The rules can take precedence over the heart of Jesus. Jesus tells a story in Matthew 15. The Pharisees come to him and they, they say, why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat? Which quite honestly sounds like a reasonable request, right? I mean, as a parent, I'm saying that all the time. But really what they were asking is, you see, there was a, a, a law that said, if you are a priest, you have to wash your hands before you eat so that you're ceremonially clean. Now, they took that law that was for the priests and they said that everybody should be doing that. And Jesus responds, as he does most times in the New Testament when someone asks him a question, he doesn't answer it. He responds with a question. And he says this, why do you forsake the commands of God for your traditions? Why do you take your, your rules, your man-made rules, your traditions, and think that they're better than the commands of God? And he says this as an example. There is a command that says, honor your father and mother for life. That's what you're supposed to do. Now, as your parents get older, this becomes a little bit more difficult. As your parents get older, this becomes a little bit more expensive, right? I mean, forget about all the money that the parents poured into the kids. That's a whole nother. Anyway. So here's what they were doing. There was another law, another rule that said you were to dedicate everything you had to God. And so they would do that. All of my possessions, all of my money, I dedicate to God. So when the parents came along and said, we need some help, they said, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I can't give you that money. It's God's money. And God might need it someday. He might come along and ask me for it, and I don't want to rob him, so, you know, I'm sorry. I have to hang on to it for now. You see, rules on our scorecard that actually cause us to break the commands of God, that's crazy. But we can get caught up in the rule. Jesus says, you, you hypocrites, you're missing the point. You're missing my heart. You see, what happens is the Pharisees fell in love with the commands, but they lost touch with the commander. That can happen to us, can it? We can fall in love with the rules and lose touch with the rule giver. And we can feel like it's just about the rules. What I really need to focus on is the rules. 
And Paul's saying, no, 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 there's freedom from defining yourself that way. There's freedom from thinking that those things complete you. Now, don't, don't hear, I don't have to follow the rules. If you're in this room and that's the note that you just took, it's not the right one. That's not where I'm going. God established rules. He did. He gave us boundaries. He gave us guardrails. He said, here's your big, amazing yard to play in, but I put a fence up so you don't fall over the cliff. So run around and be free. And yet, after a while, we start focusing on, okay, what was I supposed to do? What, what are these rules? And the system becomes more important than the Savior. The form becomes more important than the substance. You see, Paul didn't have a problem with the rules. He just had a problem that they thought that they were being made complete by the rules. He had a problem with the fact that they were taking the rules and replacing relationship. And maybe you come to church and you think, God is all about rules. All Christianity is is rules. I want to let you know that God always establishes relationship before he establishes the rules. In the garden, when he created everything, he established relationship with Adam and Eve. And then he had a rule, one, one rule. When God created it all, there was just one rule. He had all this do, 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 don't. One thing. We're like, oh, he's all about the rules. When God gave the Ten Commandments, he established relationship prior to giving the rules. He said, I am your God. And yet so often we want to reverse those things and we want to have the rules take precedence over the relationship and then the relationship gets lost in the rules. You see, we practice spiritual disciplines because that's the best way for us to live. Because that's what makes us whole. Those are the things that shape us. We don't earn you know, Bible bucks in heaven because we're doing this checklist here. That's not what it's about. As a matter of fact, Galatians 2 says this. It says, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. Do you see a theme? He's being repetitive. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. We want to have a checklist. We want to think that this is what makes us whole and complete and right. We want to be able to do something. The achiever in us wants to be able to check something off the list. But scorecard Christianity has very little to do with Jesus. There's some issues with scorecard Christianity. The first is this. Scorecard Christianity sets us up for a life of comparison and failure. If you start thinking that this is what it's like to be a good Christian, there's always going to be other people who are doing more. There's always going to be things that you can't get to on your list, and you're always going to feel like a complete failure. I was listening to sports radio a couple weeks ago, and the commentator was talking about the virtuous lifestyle of um, Russell Wilson and Tim Tebow. And he was saying, oh, these, are these guys for real? And, and then he kind of broke into this personal story. He said, you know what? I tried that once. I, I tried church. I went to church. I tried Christianity. I tried to follow all the rules, and I just couldn't do it. It was awful, so I left. If it's just rules, it is going to set us up for failure. 
As a matter of fact, scorecard Christianity requires that you be perfect. If this is the system we want to live in, then we can't break any of it. We want to think it's more like school. We want to think, well, I'm never going to be like an A-plus Christian, but I'm a solid B. Sometimes C, solid B most of the time. At least I'm not failing. You know, but Scripture says in James 2, if you break one part of the law, you've broken all of the law. Romans 3 says that we even have the law to show how sinful we are, how messed up we are. We, we can't be perfect, but if we keep a scorecard, that's what we're trying to be. Another issue is that scorecard Christianity invalidates the cross. If you could earn your way to heaven, Jesus didn't have to die. Lastly, scorecard Christianity cannot finish what has already been finished. I don't know how often I, I, I can get into this mindset of like, Jesus, I know what you did for me, and I'm thankful for what you did for me, and I receive what you did for me, but I'm going to bring this thing home. I'm, I'm going I'm to keep on under my own. I, I got this list of things, and I'm going to finish the work. We don't finish the work. And so we have freedom from this scorecard. Freedom from thinking that it defines us. Freedom from thinking that it makes us complete. Freedom from thinking that we can finish the work on our own. We can't settle for rituals and rules instead of the relationship that we've been offered. I want to close with just three questions. Stuff that we just want to think about. First one is this. I want us to just think, what is on my scorecard? What is it that I keep score by? And maybe a different way of asking this is, what Christian thing do you feel guilty about if you don't do it? I think one of the guiltiest phrases in the church is quiet time. Because I think everybody's like, I know I should be doing quiet time, but I don't do enough quiet time. And then they feel bad about it and they feel like, you know, that's a lower score. Maybe that's one of the things. The second question I would ask then is this, why do I keep score by these things? Why do we keep score? I can't answer that question for you. I know in my own life, on my own scorecard, I just, they're just things that have been hammered into my head from years, honestly, in the church. And in years of maybe my misunderstanding. But these, oh man, you have to do that. If you want to be a good Christian, you got to do that thing. Thirdly, then, I would just say this. How, how do I get rid of the scorecard? How do we not live thinking that, yeah, if, if I do this checklist, I'm accepted more, I'm loved more, I'm complete, I can finish this thing. Maybe it's confession. Maybe it's having the grace to forgive yourself. Maybe it's this prayer of God, just please let me see me the way you see me. This identity piece. In elementary school, both of my girls started uh, band. And, you know, they go and you get fitted for an instrument, and it's fantastic. And then one of the beauties of band is that first band concert, where you go and basically all they can do is sit up straight and play hot cross buns, right? And uh, what you find out when you get there is that every parent has a video camera, like the president is coming. And then the kids play hot cross buns. <laughs> And it sounds like someone's killing a goose. 
it's just bad, right? You, you know that. It's just really bad. And what happens at the end? Standing ovation. Standing O. And it's not because the kids just put a whole new spin on hot cross buns. Wow. That was beautiful. It was soaring. It was amazing. No. That's not the case at all. Why do parents stand up and applaud? Because that's my child. That's my kid. And their acceptance and their love and their approval is not based upon performance, right? It can't be. (laughs) Not at all. Now, here's the thing. Do you want your kids to get better? Yes. (laughs) And I want you to practice somewhere else. You want them to get better. You want them to do the steps along. But, but your love for them, your acceptance of them is based in no way upon their performance. Their, their band performance does not make them complete in your eyes. Guys, Jesus loves us. And it's our faith in him that has made us complete. And his love for us is not based on performance. It's not because we have a scorecard and we can check off a bunch of really great things. And so I want us to have the freedom from thinking that completes us. And I want us to have the freedom to do all of these wonderful things that God has put into place, but because of love for him, because we know who we are, because we know we're his, and that his love for us is not based upon our performance. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your word. And I pray this morning that you would give us freedom. That we could come out from under this scorecard thinking. God, forgive us if we have replaced relationship with you, with with these rules and, and these rituals. Forgive us for when we have religious pride. And we think we've achieved on our own. God, forgive us for these things. Give us the courage to notice when we're keeping score and the courage to remember who we are in you. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.